What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm Shelly Metling, and I've been sharing my infertility journey openly on YouTube for about a year now. With four losses ourselves and one rainbow baby on the way, I wanted a platform for you babes to share your stories. So girl, sit back, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry, because we are about to get real on the ins and outs of pregnancy loss in the 21st century. We have Kristen Kowalsik on the Life After Miscarriage show today. Hi, Kristen. How are you? I'm good, Shelly. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So we met on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You had reached out to me, I think, after reading my ebook. Yeah, it was right around the time that your ebook came out. Um, I just did some like simple Instagram hashtag searches because um, I really didn't know anybody close to me that had experienced loss. So I was reaching out to any avenue that I could um, to find anybody that I could relate to. And I found your ebook and I was like, holy crap, this sounds uber familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I mean, I... You know, it's funny because I'm always like, I'm so happy you could relate to it. But really, like, I, I hope you can't relate to it. But like, if you have been through it, it's it's just great to find somebody who just gets it. And if it's that means 22. <laughs> yeah. And if that means on the Internet, like that's where I've met all my get it girls. You know what I mean? And it's just it's kind of what this is because it's it's not very you know, life after miscarriage is just not very commonly talked about. No, um, it isn't. Yeah, so it's super lonely. And so I'm so happy that you reached out for the fact that, like, it makes me feel like, oh, good, like, my story's reaching people. But also, like, you reaching out to me and being like, hey, me too. Like, I, this is my story. Like, that makes me feel less alone as well. So it's just a win-win situation. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So you have had two miscarriages, both in 2018, Correct. One at the very tail end of 2017, so okay. like right at Christmas time, and then our next loss was in July of 2018. Okay, so if you just want to kind of start wherever you want to start with your story and just fill us sure. in on everything. So my husband and I got married in July 2017. We've known each other for our entire lives. We, we kind of laughed because we were like, oh my gosh, we feel like this is like an arranged marriage. We've known each other since we were like in kindergarten. <laughs> and our last names were so similar that our pictures in the yearbook were always like next to each other. So it's kind of like a cool story growing up. I used to tell him he had the, he had it for me for years. And I was like, eh, no thanks. You know, <laughs> it, it took us until after um, we went through college to get back together, um, start just a, a normal friendship. So we started again, like as friends. And then it turned into um, a re- relationship pretty strong. Um, we, we were engaged for a short, you know, about a year. Um, and then we were married. Um, we both are family people. So right off the rip, we were like, okay, we want to have kids. As soon as like, we knew that we said, I do, we were like, okay, this is it. We're going to, we're going to have a honeymoon baby. We're going to go on our honeymoon and we're going to get pregnant right away. And that wasn't the case. It took us about two months to get pregnant. Um, So we went on our honeymoon right away in July and then found out we were pregnant with our first in September towards the end of the month. Um, And we went nuts. Like we were so excited because we both like that. We felt like that was like our vocation. Um, We're very devout Catholics. um, And we just felt like that was our vocation to be parents. Um, And so we were really stinking excited. Um, But the funny thing is, We were so excited, but we didn't buy anything. Like, we did not decorate a nursery. We did not buy a crib. We did not buy clothes. We actually opted our first pregnancy to not find out the gender. So we just wanted to be completely surprised, and we were like, whatever happens, happens. This is just, like, awesome that we were able to get pregnant. Um, Moving forward to Christmas 2017, I I had a normal pregnancy all the way through, um, no complications. I had, you know, every appointment was perfect on point. Um, we made it to our 18 week appointment. Um, and at that point, the doctor would do um, a Doppler at every appointment to check for the heartbeat and she couldn't find the heartbeat. And she was like, you know what? No big deal. Um, sometimes it's hard to find on the Doppler. Let me go pull the ultrasound. And of course we're like sitting there going, 
holy shit, like what's going on? Yeah. We want to hear our baby's heartbeat. We hadn't heard it since um, 12 weeks. So it was like a long time since we had heard anything. Um, and she came in with the ultrasound um, and detected no heartbeat, um, called another doctor in who confirmed that um, there was no heartbeat. Uh, and the rest was just kind of like a blur. Um, my husband came to every appointment with me. So it was like awesome that he was there. He owns his own business. So like he could take off work anytime to, to be part of all of this craziness. Um, we had the option from our doctor of going right to the hospital to either have a DNC or deliver since I was 18 weeks along. Um, or she said, you can go home, get your bearings together, think about it, bag, think about it, and then go into the hospital. And I'm really um, bullheaded and really, you know, straight to the point, you know, I was like, you know what, no, just call labor and delivery where let's just do this. Yeah. You know, she was kind of like, are you sure we had two doctors that were like, are you sure you don't want a DNC? Like you still have the option for a DNC. And I was like, (laughs) of course, you know, like when you're pregnant, you're always Googling images and stuff. And I was like, okay, I know what an 18 week baby looks like. I was like, I, I can't go through a DNC. I was like, that's just, it just wasn't an option for us. Yeah. So we went into the hospital. Um, my husband will say to this day, he has no idea how we got there because it was about a half hour drive from our doctor's office to the hospital. Um, but he was really the part of the whole first situation, whole first loss. He um, made all the phone calls. He arranged everybody being at the hospital. Um, what was neat, and I guess uh, it's like neat and it's not because I'll tell you a little bit more when we had our second loss. When you go into the hospital, they typically have like a section or like a room um, in labor and delivery that's kind of like off to the side. It's by a supply closet that, you know, there's no other mothers that are actively in labor um, near you. And they'll put like something on on the door so that people know like, hey, just FYI, this person's going through a loss um, just to be kind and courteous. And with our first loss, it, it was good. We had good nurses. Um, we had one doctor at the hospital that had terrible bedside manner, our delivering doctor. She, um, she delivered the baby and put the baby on my belly. And the first words that she said to us were, this baby's been dead for a while. And I oh. was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You're like, that. I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, as an OB, like, wouldn't you have to know the good and the bad and like be able to do the good and the bad? Like, cause obviously if one out of four people experience loss and that goes down or I'm sorry. Yeah. That, that uh, statistic goes down the further along that you are. I'm like, man, wouldn't you just have some kind of. Yeah. So we had a really, really good nurse who was able to talk us through that doctor um, after she had left. But um, our, our first loss, usually people will say like their first loss is the hardest um, because it's the one that you remember. It's the one that made the biggest impact. For sure. Um, for it's us, your, it's your first. It's your first. Yeah. Like, for us, the hardest thing was um, coming home um, mm. after our loss um, because my husband, God bless him. Um, didn't know what to do. He, you know, I, he didn't know how I was going to react. So um, he had people come over to the house and remove all things baby from our house. We had like ultrasounds hung up on the fridge and books and like a couple little like statue figurines um, throughout the house. And I remember coming home and all ornaments because it was Christmas time. So we had our Christmas tree up and I came home and I was like, oh my God, I went into a rage. I was like, where's my stuff? Yeah. And I lost my mind. And, and here he was, thought he was doing something it, helpful. And yeah. I felt so terrible. I lost my mind. I was like, I, I just want my stuff. I want, I want to be back to normalcy. I didn't change our calendar from December until February. 
So like December still had on there, you know, our routine OB appointment. Um, so it was just, that was a really hard bone to grasp was coming home. Um, but I will say that although number one was difficult, number two um, was by far the most horrific thing ever. Um, we, um, when we lost our first, we named her Mary. We had a funeral for her. Not very many people plan um, a funeral for a baby that they just had. Um, we had a Catholic mass um, for her. My husband and I carried the casket down the aisle. Like it was like a whole big, it was the middle of winter. It was the snowiest December slash January that we had had in a while. We're in Cleveland, Ohio. So our weather is like hit and miss. Like our winters are either winter or it's rain. Yeah. <laughs> so we had um, piles and piles and piles of snow. It was like zero degrees outside. And there was a ton of people who showed up um, <clears throat> to our funeral. Um, we had that on the weekend. <clears throat> but we had to wait until 2018 um, for our funeral just because like we were like right at Christmas time and then there was new years. There was like all these holidays and like other people died too. <laughs> like they have to be accommodating. <laughs> they can, you know what I mean? I know that sounds terrible. But, like, they have to be accommodating to all the people. Yeah. So, um, it was a stressful time, but we had, um, we had kind of, I don't want to say we came to terms, but um we spent a lot of time together, my husband and I, in prayer, um, a lot of time at church. Like two days after we had delivered, like we were at church. Um, so that was a big thing for us. Um, but the hardest thing for me with our first pregnancy was um, two of my best friends <clears throat> were also pregnant. So we were all due um, around the same time. Um, one was due about four weeks um, before me. One was due about two weeks before me. And so they have, they already had kids themselves. So this was like just a normal thing for them. Um, and here I am like my first pregnancy. I'm super excited. I'm super stoked. And they went through to have full-term pregnancies. And here I was like the lost girl. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it was very difficult, I think, on our friendship um, because, what do you say? What do you do? How do you help? How do you not help? Um, because obviously if we were hanging out, it was hanging out and kids. Mm -hmm. So it was a really hard. How did you manage that? Like, because I know I went through the same thing. Like just, I had a lot of friends who were pregnant as I was going through, you know, all of my miscarriages and like, I definitely handled it differently with different people. Yes. Um, I have one really close friend. Um, her name is Megan. Um, she reaches out to me all the time. Um, her daughter was due like <sighs> two weeks after we were due. Um, and she reaches out to me quite frequently. Um, and one of the things that she will always say, and I have not, after our first loss, we got together with them after we found out we were pregnant with number two. Um, but in that in-between period, we just removed ourselves from everybody because people would say crazy things. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, even after having one loss, like you'd have family members that would be like, well, you know. It wasn't meant to be. Or, you know, like, yeah. yeah. Like, it wouldn't be like, I'm so sorry about what, and I was so sick of hearing, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I was like, none of us have any control over this. But yeah. It would be like, well, you can hire a surrogate. Ugh. And I'd be like, Gosh. do you know how much a surrogate costs? And because we're not to that point yet right. of our it like, journey. It was, like, <laughs> it was like early too. Like it's not like, um, you know, where there's a little bit of a waiting period, I guess, <laughs> just to see, you know, and feel it out before people say stuff. No, it would be like, well, you know, you could, you could look into a surrogate or did you talk to your sister? Maybe she could carry for you. Yes. My, sister oh. in, my sister lives in Texas. I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to have my baby states away um so and it's, it's crazy because people don't mean like they're not doing it to be mean like they're not doing it to be annoying yeah. it's almost like I think just naturally humans feel like we need to like fix the problem or like come up with a solution and it's like when people are going through trauma it's more so just like just just 
be there. Like you don't need to fix it. There is no fixing. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, Shelly, because um, my husband had this conversation with lots of people because everybody wanted to just fix everything. Yeah. You know, I can, I can cut you a check so that we can get an adoption fee together. We don't no. want a check. No. Like, we want our own baby. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And adoption has not been off the table for us. Like we've sat and we've talked about foster to adopt. Um, like that's been an ongoing conversation with us since before we even found out we were pregnant. Mm-hmm. We were like, there's so many kids out there, but I have wanted to carry my own child's term. That mm-hmm. said, no matter how many losses we're going to go through, we're going to go through however many losses we're going to go through for us to have our own baby that's ours that we carried that you know yeah and it's not that and like you said it's not that adoption is off the table it's just it's just you're basically telling me to give up on like my my first dream and it's not time to give up yet no (laughs) we still say that to this day like it's it's not something that I'm willing to just put on the back burner because we have other options you know, this is, I will exhaust this option until there's nothing. Exactly. Um, exactly. So um, my, my girlfriends, you know, we still would talk, um, but we really didn't hang out after the first loss. Again, Cleveland weather, we all live a little bit further away. We're like a half hour away from each other, which in the grand scheme of things doesn't seem like that long, but you have kids and you're gathering people up and, and so it's hard to really get together. Um, it made it a little bit more difficult to get together um, until we found out, or I should say before we found out we were pregnant with our second, I had taken my husband for his 30th birthday to Las Vegas in February of 2018. And we were like, all right, let's just do Vegas up. So we yeah. had his sister and his brother-in-law and we had a blast. And um, we came back home and two weeks later, um, with my fertile cycle and we were like, you know what, let's just try, you know, you don't, you don't know. So we, beginning uh, mid-March, we found out we were pregnant with our second. So we were like, holy shit, like we're going to go through all of this again. But it was like such a silver lining because we were like, we were in so much grief over the first loss, our first loss, Mary, um, that we were like, this is, this is it. This is our miracle baby. We mm-hmm. were so stinking excited. Um, but again, we did not go through that pregnancy and buy anything, decorate anything. Um, we have some clothes. The only thing that I had to buy was maternity clothes because I was huge. <laughs> like, I just, like, I was like, man, I was just pregnant and I carried to about 18 weeks. And even though the baby passed, um, probably around 15 weeks, I still had pregnancy symptoms. I still got big. Like, it doesn't stop growing. It doesn't stop um, moving and grooving. So, I got pregnant right away and I hadn't lost all of the weight from the first one. So it was like just a pile on a pile on. So, um, yeah, that was the only thing that we, we bought that pregnancy was maternity clothes. <laughs> was there any sort of anxiety, like with that being right after your, your first loss? I know you said you were excited. I feel like you're such a positive energy that you're just like, Whoa, this is it. Like I, I kind of, I feel like I prayed to our daughter in heaven all the time. And it gave me comfort knowing that she had a part in sending a sibling. Yeah. So I was like, this is amazing. This is so awesome. Um, I tried to be as positive as possible. Um, now you do go through those times where, you know, it's a struggle boss, but, um, we tried so hard to just spit the positive energy out. Um, why wouldn't you be excited, you know, but why yeah. wouldn't you be nervous at the same time? Um, when we went in for our appointments, our, our first appointment, we had switched OBs after um, our first loss. We became OB jumpers. <laughs> so we were like, we've got to find somebody that really has their head together and knows what to do because obviously, number one, like something, something was missed. So we had found out um, just prior to us finding out we were pregnant with number two. So I'm going to jump back a little bit. I keep going back and forth. Um, My mom had gotten a blood clot um, right before we got married. 
And one of the things that the doctors asked her was, how many miscarriages did you have? And she was like, none, (laughs) you know? And she's like, how many daughters do you have? I have two daughters. How many of them have had miscarriages before? And she was like, well, none. My one daughter has three kids and my other daughter hasn't tried at all. You know, she has, she's not married. She hasn't tried at all. Um, and so she was tested for um, a panel of blood clotting disorders and she was found heterozygous with the prothrombin gene mutation. So that original OB had done this panel of tests on us as well, found that I was also heterozygous for the prothrombin gene mutation. She had said, there's a really small chance that this had anything to do with your loss. Um, it's like a 5% chance. Um, but she was like, but it could, cause we didn't send anything off to pathology. We were like, you know what? We're just gonna pray on this. We're going to move forward and we're going to just, we're going to call it what it, you know, call it what it is. It was a, it was a terrible experience. It was a terrible loss. Um, but we're going to move forward. Um, and that was the biggest mistake that I made because usually they won't test you until after your third loss. Um, we were lucky enough. They tested us after our first loss and we paid that testing out of pocket because we wanted to know. Um, so when it came back that I was, um, heterozygous for the prothrombin gene mutation, the first thing that she said was with your next pregnancy, I would prescribe you, um, a daily dose of Lovenox blood thinner injections and a baby aspirin. And I was like, great. Okay. There's a plan. I am so lucky that somebody, you know, we, we, we got this. Okay. We, we figured out what was wrong. We have a plan. Let's do this. Um, and then we found out we were pregnant and I was scared shitless to go back to that doctor. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, well, I don't want to go back into that same room. Um, what happens if, you know, that doctor does a Doppler, um, and she can't find heartbeat, like in the same office, like it was stressful. So we completely shifted gears. We were with the same hospital system, um, but we changed OBs. Supposedly, this doctor knew a lot about the prothrombin gene mutation, um, but she really, like, after seeing her, she she wasn't as knowledgeable as maybe we would have liked. Um, and again, we're younger. We were a little naive. Like, we were like, okay, well, there's no way that we can experience another loss. Like, number one was terrible. This could, this could never happen again. Um, so we went into her office. She sent us for our first ultrasound with the high-risk doctor who read through our chart, said, I see that you have the prothrombin gene mutation. In my opinion, there's a 0% chance that this could have an effect on child loss. I do not suggest that you take Lovenox or baby aspirin. Coming from Interesting. Yeah, coming from a high-risk doctor, we were like, okay, well, this guy's got to be really super knowledgeable. Like, he's got it going on. Yeah, we're going to follow his instructions because, like, the hospital that we were at was one, it's one of the biggest hospital systems in our area. So we were like, okay, we, this is, we've got to do this. Um, we Every followed. doctor's so different too. Oh my gosh. It's so crazy. different. Like you would think that there'd be like a systematic protocol. No. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. It's just like personal opinion. And uh-huh. I'm like, shoot, when's our personal opinion going to count for anything? Like, I know that I didn't go to medical school, but Man, I am Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so um, we followed his directions. Um, our OB followed those directions as well, even though we had a previous OB that said, I think that it would be a good idea for you to be on thinners. Um, so again, normal pregnancy, 18 weeks, we went in for um, our anatomy scan. And I guess now when I think back on it, the ultrasound tech was, we had had her before. She was not like a new tech. Like we had had her before for previous ultrasounds. Um, She was a little bit quieter during this ultrasound. Um, And we wanted to find out the gender. We were like, we got to find out. We we just have to now. Like we can't be, we we have to be a little bit prepared. Um, Right away, she found, she told us, she was like, it's a girl. Um, So we were like, holy crap, the stars are aligning. Like, 
our daughter sent us another dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but as she was measuring the baby, she was very quiet. And then when she was done, she said, the doctor is going to come in to do some more measurements. Um, no big deal. She is a new doctor that came in from California. Um, and this is like her first or second week in. So um, she just kind of wanted to meet her patients, which I wasn't really her patient. I was just in for an ultrasound because after that first loss, they did not consider us high risk. So, which was also mind boggling to me. Yeah. Like 18 weeks, like, holy crap. That, um, and that's like rare too, you know, yeah. like second trimester losses, third trimester losses are much more rare than first. Yeah. I'm not like saying any is worse or better. Like, but like you would think that that would bring a little bit of a red flag yeah. for your next pregnancy. It's a little bit of a different statistic. I've known folks that have had first trimester losses and then their subsequent pregnancies have been considered high risk. So I was like, well, maybe, you know, this just, I don't know. Maybe I just didn't meet any other qualifications. I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trusting these doctors. Um, yeah. This That's doctor- all you really can do. This doctor came in and started to rescan. Now, mind you, all through our first scan with the tech, our baby girl looked at the ultrasound the entire time. She was calm, cool, and collective. She hardly moved. She was smiling. Like you could see, we have an ultrasound picture of her like smiling. And we were like, holy shit, it's like the background of my phone. I'm like, that is the coolest thing in the entire world. Um, but she was always looking at the screen, the whole ultrasound. This doctor came in and she like went crazy. <laughs> like me and my husband were like, what's happening? Like she was like flipping and doing all sorts of backflips and front. she would not <laughs> face forward. We were like, man, she's obstinate. Like this is, this is great. Um, so of course my, you know, we kind of giggled. We were like, it's kind of, you know, our little jelly bean in there. And the doctor came in and she said, um, there, it looks, they had changed my due date um, back and forth towards the beginning of our pregnancy based on our last misperiod and our first ultrasound. So they were going back and forth between about a week discrepancy. Um, and she said to us, you're about 10 days growth lagging. So um, she's like, your baby's about 10 days behind in growth. And he didn't seem concerned about it. She was just like, so we're going to rescan in three weeks because it takes about three weeks to... Um, if there's a change in growth so we were like okay he's like other than that baby is healthy let's get you to a good point we'll see it in three weeks we were excited we told everybody it's a girl people started buying us girl clothes like it was we were hot to trot we were so excited um that was at 18 weeks um about a week later uh I went into the emergency room for a rash on my legs we went out to dinner, my husband and I, and I had this this rash all over my thigh. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. And then it moved up to my arm and I had a little bit of a rash in my forearm. And it's it was middle of summer. So we were like, well, maybe it's just heat. Um, and when we went into the ER, they, again, didn't seem very concerned about it. They gave me some Benadryl and sent me home. They said, your blood pressure is a little bit elevated, um, but it might just be that you're nervous about being in the ER. So my yeah. blood pressure was like, Top number was in the 130s. Bottom number was in the 80s, higher 80s. Um, so they weren't necessarily super concerned about that. They were just like, eh, you're in the ER. It's probably, you're probably just a little bit overwhelmed. Um, fast forward a couple days, we went in for a follow-up with our OB um, over this rash. And we were, like, concerned about this rash. We were like, I had this rash. I had, you know. And she was like, Kristen, th- and mind you, this was, I was, just shy of 20 weeks then at this point she was like Kristen you have a large amount of protein in your urine and your blood pressure is in the 130s like over almost 90 she was like you're going in to be admitted today for a 24-hour urine test to we want to rule out preeclampsia yeah I was like preeclampsia I was like what the hell is preeclampsia you know (laughs) I'm like this would not have been on my radar at all um and we went into the hospital. We're like, okay, this is just a normal thing. Like we'll get my blood pressure down. We'll be good to go. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure this is just another cross that we have to bear. And we got into the hospital and the on-call high-risk doctor came in and he was like, some doctors are like really chipper and some are just very monotone. And he just came in and was like, 
please tell me what you know about preeclampsia. And I was like, nothing. <laughs> you know, like, I have no You're idea. like, why do you want me to tell you? You tell yes. me. <laughs> he was like, Kristen, we think that you have preeclampsia. And I was like, okay. I said, well, what medication do we have to take? Like, what do we have to do to, to get this all figured out? And he was like, your legs are like my, at that point, my feet and my ankles had started to swell. Mm. And I was like, well, maybe it's just the summer heat, you know, like, and he was like, no, we're, we're thinking that your features are going to start to move to the more severe side. Um, he's like the only cure for preeclampsia at that point would be delivery. And I was like, I'm 20 weeks. weeks. Yeah. I said, no way. I'm sorry. Maybe you're in the wrong patient's room. Like, sorry. Um, and we're thinking if it's something this serious, they would have just kept us in the hospital. Um, after 24 hours and we finished the urine test, there was still high amounts of protein in my urine. Um, he sent me home. He discharged me after 24 hours and said, just live your life as normal. Um, there's, there's really nothing that, that you can do at this point to, lower your blood pressure. And we were like, well, then what do we do? Like monitor it, you know? So of course my husband is like Dr. Google himself. And he's like, okay, we're not, you're not eating anymore. Like nothing with sodium. You're going to sit with your feet up. Um, you're not like, we're going to do a modified bed rest. Like we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that your blood pressure dropped. So we bought a home blood pressure cuff. I had an appointment the following week with our OB to follow up. And she said, check your blood pressure twice a day. Now, mind you, again, I had put on a lot of weight from the first pregnancy into the second pregnancy. So buying a blood pressure cuff, we were like, okay, well, we got to find a good cuff. The cuff I was afraid was going to cut my circulation off of my upper arm. So I was like, how else can we take this blood pressure? Because I feel like my arm's going to fall off. <laughs> so <laughs> we found one that we could put on my forearm and, um, my blood pressures kept rising. So when I was at home, my blood pressures were about 164 over 95 to 100. Um, and we took our paperwork into the doctor and I was like, but you know what? I said, I think that this could be incorrect because I said, we don't know if we're using the blood pressure cuff correctly. You know, like I was trying to come up with any excuse that I could possibly find to be like, well, it can't possibly be that we're going to be losing yeah. And at that point, they still weren't, leading us to believe that the baby was going to die. Um, they were still feeding us a lot of hope, which was what I needed at that time. Like I needed all sorts of hope. Um, we went back into the hospital after seeing the doctor. She admitted us right away. Um, and I spent about a week and a half in the hospital. Um, they monitored my blood pressures like every 10 minutes. And of course they kept going up the highest that my blood pressures went up to. It was like 180 over 105. And they were like, we have to put you on magnesium because if we don't, you are probably going to have a seizure. And not only could this end your baby's life, this could end your life as well. Um, and I just found it funny and I don't, I not funny, haha, but just funny, ironic. Um, the same doctor who did that 18 week ultrasound that our daughter went absolutely like ape shit inside me and would not cooperate at all um, was the one who was on call when we were in the hospital. And she pulled my husband aside in the hallway and offered him um, the option of termination because um, my life was at such high risk at that point. Yeah. And my husband, God bless him, was like, that's not a decision that I can make. Mm -hmm. That's not my body. Like, I can't make that decision. So um, if this is something that you're serious about, like, you're going to, like, first off, you'd have to talk to my wife. But second off, like, no, <laughs> like, this baby will have to die naturally if this baby's going to pass. Um, mm -hmm. Because of our faith background, we were like, we're not, no, I'm, I, I said to my husband, I said, I would rather die than, um, yeah, I don't think, yeah, that would be really just difficult to like, it was just, even comprehend. Like you're trying to think of everything that's going on at that time. And then you're adding in all of those, that sprinkle of all of that stuff. And you were just like, oh, you can't wrap your head around it. You know, Yeah, like, you can't necessarily understand what's even happening. So 
Um, she came in. I, I refused to terminate. Um, the baby was doing fine on the magnesium. My blood pressure was starting to drop. Um, they also put me on a blood pressure medication. The only thing that they didn't do that I wish that I would have recommended or like really, really pushed for was a steroid shot because we were like, if we do have this baby early, at least she's got a little bit of a shot. Now we were a little bit shy of viability, but we were like, you know what? I said, I, I, I was like, I'm going to get this, this girl to 24 weeks. Like come hell or high water. Like this baby is going to be born after the 24 week mark. I was like two more weeks. We can do this. I can totally do this. Just keep me in the hospital and I will incubate. <laughs> like, yeah. this is going to happen. Um, and everybody was on board. Um, even the doctors were like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll give this a shot. Meanwhile, in our chart, the doctor said like, this baby is going to pass within the next day or two. Um, but we were like, so we were so optimistic that if we were hopeful that we could make it a couple more weeks, that it would happen. Um, Fast forward the morning of the 22nd of July. I was exactly 22 weeks. The nurse came in to do a Doppler. Couldn't find heartbeat. And we were like, oh shit. Like, you've got to be kidding me. They called in all these doctors. They pulled in the ultrasound machine. And of course, there we were again. 22 weeks this time and our baby had, our baby had passed. Um, what was hard about this second pregnancy loss was that, um, we knew from the beginning, like we knew early on, I shouldn't say early, like 18 weeks, we knew that it was a girl. Um, I had felt movement from about 15 weeks on, so I could feel her move through that, um, entirety. Um, my husband felt the baby from the outside at about 19 weeks. Um, so there was a lot of bonding that happened mm -hmm. um, when you can feel a child inside of you, like it becomes very, very real. Um, when you're like in the early stages of pregnancy, sometimes you're like, ah, I don't feel anything. So I don't know if it's like still real. So then you're taking like 27,000 pregnancy tests to confirm that like everything's mm -hmm. still real. You um, had a lot more reassurance but, feeling those movements. Right, yeah. Right. So, you know, it was very comforting knowing that we could feel her. Now that morning, I was so highly medicated that it didn't, it didn't even like dawn on me. Like I, I usually felt her more in the evening time. So like, I didn't feel her in the morning. It just didn't, it wasn't abnormal. Mm -hmm. um, so that was probably around 11 a.m. noon. And um, I'm sorry, and that was on the 21st. Um, they, uh, they scheduled us over in labor and delivery, but they did not have a room. So we stayed on the high risk floor for about two and a half hours, just waiting. We were like, okay, can we at least get the medication started? Cause we already know this drill. Like, yeah, we've already been here, done this. We know what's going to happen. Let's, let's get this going. Um, and they were like, no, we can't do that on this floor. It was like right next door to labor and delivery. So we were like, come on. Um, so finally they had a room open. Sally, they put me in a wheelchair and they wheeled me to the exact same room that I delivered my first. Oh, time. really? <sighs> Not only that, I had a nurse in training. <laughs> so I was like, I felt like double whammy. I was like, yeah, you guys realize that you just put me in the same room that I had my first loss in like less than a year ago. And they said, Oh, you know, well, this is the room that we have. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like deja vu. It was, Oh my goodness. And then, um, I had two nurses, one was training and one was, um, an active member of the floor. And I was like, you really want to train with me? <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be a good training experience for you. <laughs> you know, I, I felt kind of bad, but like, because I was just, at that point, I was real. I was like, filter gone. Yeah. So um, I asked for the nurse manager. Um, I was like, listen, I can't, I can't deliver in this room. Sorry. You're going to have to find someplace else. And she was like, Kristen, the only two options that you have 
is a room that's much smaller that would only accommodate maybe like two people in the room at a time. Or we have a larger room that's about this size, but it's in between two women that are in active labor. Oh. And I was like, okay, I'll take the smaller room. <laughs> yeah. Now, which is still towards the back, which is right next to the supply closet, which is where all the nurses hang out. So like as you're sitting there in distress and like just trying to like You can kinda like hear the them like you can hear every conversation that's happening out in the hallway because that's everybody's hangout. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is just a nightmare. Um, and that labor, I was in labor for 16 hours. Oh my gosh. Not so, to be um, like too invasive, but what oh no. what is it like to like push out a baby that you know is not going to... So <sighs> not invasive, not invasive at all. Um, our... Our first, my mom stayed in the delivery room with my husband and I because it was such a, a big, like, that was our first. <laughs> we were like, holy crap. Um, she was so small that I felt contractions. I had an epidural. Um, my epidural with my first worked. My epidural with my second did not. Um, so my first, I was in labor for four hours. Um and it was, it was beautiful. Like, um, she came out and the placenta came out shortly after fully intact. Um, and so that was kind of a cool thing to see. Like I created that, that is like the, that's, that's what we wanted, right? Like we wanted to be parents, like here's our daughter. Um, and we were very joyful in that. Um, we, passed our baby around. Everybody got to hold our baby. Everybody got to be part of that moment. Um, we invited, we were in a really large delivery room for our first. So we invited all of our family and friends. Our priest was up there. Like we were like, if you want, if you want to be part of this, like our arms are wide open because this didn't just affect us. This affected everybody that was part of our lives. Um, so, you know, my family was up there. My husband's family was up there. Um, with our second, um, again, my epidural didn't work. So I had to use like the bolus like every half hour mm. to get any kind of pain relief. Um, but I felt every contraction. Um, my water did not break naturally with my second. So they had to, um, they had to break my water. Um, and that was a really weird experience. Like I was like, I feel like, well, I feel like, um, I shouldn't have to have my water broken. Like I just, it just felt weird. Um, but as soon as they broke my water, it relieved a lot of pressure. And um, again, it was a very beautiful moment. Um, our second daughter, we named Dottie. Um, she was fully formed. She had um, no marks on her. Nothing was descended. Um, she was fully intact because she had just passed. Um, our previous daughter had passed a little bit earlier um, so she had some, uh, like her skull was broken in a little bit on one side. Um, and not all of her features were formed. Um, she did, both of them did have five fingers, five toes, but like, it was really cool. Like with Dottie, like we like examined her as soon as she came out and she was heavy. She was just about a pound, like, or just under a pound. Like we were like, she's got some weight to her. Um, but it was like, it sounds so, so crazy, but like you like investigate every feature. Like I was like, she had clavicle bones. Her eyes were beautiful. She had a slight smile. She had ears. She had nipples. She had toes. She had fingers. Like we were like, this is so amazing. And then after I delivered Dottie, I went into complete shock. Um, and I was immobile. I was not talking. I was not responsive to the doctors whatsoever. My reflexes went completely away. So they did a blood draw to see if maybe the magnesium level was too high. And, you know, like usually like when they put the needle in, when they're going to do a blood draw and you like flinch, like I didn't flinch at all. So they were like, oh my gosh, my husband was standing holding our daughter and the doctors had to bring in um, surgical nurses because they had to do a bedside DNC because my placenta had ruptured. Mm. Um, so I was in the midst of shock. I could hear and see everything that was going on, but I couldn't respond. So the um, anesthesiologist came in and way upped my dosage on my epidural to the point where like my body, like I couldn't feel anything. Um, and they hoist you up 
and the noises that you hear and the things that you see. Um, anybody that's gone through a DNC, God bless you because um, usually they'll put you under for that. Um, if you can actually like see and experience that, it's traumatic. Yeah. It's absolutely traumatic. And I was more traumatized knowing that my husband was standing right there because he was trapped. He was trapped on the side of the bed holding his daughter who had passed. Watching his wife almost pass herself. Um, yeah. So it was, it was very, very traumatic. That DNC took about a half hour um, to complete. Um, and after all was said and done, they lowered my magnesium dosage. Um, and I came to, um, but I was very, very lethargic. So as opposed to our first delivery where I was so joyful and I was so happy and, you know, it, and I don't want to say happy, like it was just like, it was such a gift. Like it, I just felt like it was such a gift from God. Um, this second loss, I just was completely gone. Like I just completely lost it. Um, now mind you too, when you're on that magnesium, they won't let you eat anything. So I was on that 24 hours before I gave birth. Then I went into labor. They wouldn't let you eat then. And then they put me back on magnesium for 24 hours after I delivered. So I hadn't eaten for a really long period of time as well. So you put all of those pieces together and you're just like, shoot, how are you still breathing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. just on top of all of that, like it's just a traumatic experience. Um, so we stayed with our daughter that whole day. Um, and we didn't leave until the next day because I was on magnesium. So, um, we got to spend a lot of time with her, which was really, really great. Um, again, we invited people up if they wanted to come up. Um, but a lot less people did, you know, like the timing just wasn't right, I guess, you know, and I guess when you've already experienced it once, people are like, okay, they've already experienced it once, maybe like back off a little bit, or maybe the first time was a little bit overwhelming on them. Um, and so people kind of back off a little bit. Um, but few second funeral, you know, we got home and we had to get on it with, um, the funeral home. Um, and they were like the best people in the entire world. We called the funeral home. Um, we called the cemetery and the woman we worked with at the cemetery remembered who we were. And there was a plot directly next to our Mary. So she reserved it for us. So our two Aww. girls are buried next to each other. Um, That's awesome. And because we like a headstone is quite expensive, especially when you're paying for medical bills on top of that. So we were um, on a payment plan for our um, headstone. So she was like, we can also accommodate that as well. She said, since you don't have that paid off in full yet, she said, we can add both of the girls on that one headstone um, so that it kind of helps to alleviate some of the cost. And it's, you know, more of a sentimental value. You know, our two girls are, are right there together. So that was, that was probably one of the neatest things that um, we had experienced. You know, and I'm a teacher, so I had Dottie July 22nd, and I started work on August 20th. And oh I my went, goodness, I went right into work. Like I, there was no waiting period. Even when I lost Mary, I took two weeks off of work. Like I was right back to it because if I didn't stay busy, I was going crazy. Um, yeah. And, and you have these people that are like, like, oh my gosh, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. You're so strong. I would never be able to do or go through what you've got. I'm like, seriously, you have two options in this world, strength, or you can be in denial. And I wasn't about to be in denial. I was going to be strong about all of this um, because that's the only choice that I felt that I had. Um, so my husband and I took a little bit of a break. We were like, you know what, man, we need to breathe. <laughs> like we cannot get pregnant anytime soon. And I guess that's where in lies our fertility problems is that it's not that we can't get pregnant. It's that we can't keep a pregnancy, which is um, just as difficult, I would think, as mm -hmm. Someone that is not able to get pregnant. Um, everything has their own um, impact, right? So we took a little bit of a break. We went to see a hematologist in October. So we had the baby in July, August, September, October. Three months later, we saw a hematologist because we were like, okay, maybe we're ready. 
are we crazy or what? Like we were like, we're going to try, like we've lost two babies in the second trimester. We're going to try this again. So we went and saw this hematologist um, at a different hospital system um, in October. He um, suggested that we Lovenox it up and take baby aspirin. Um, once we find out that we're pregnant, we were like, awesome. There's a little bit of a plan. He recommended us then to um, a reproductive endocrinologist. So we went in and we had a consult with her. She also agreed with his findings and said, you need to be on Lovenox. You should have been on Lovenox your second pregnancy um, and low dose baby aspirin. We were like, oh my gosh, two for two. This is awesome. So she referred us to um, the high risk doctors that work within her practice. Um, and they also agreed. And they said, once you find out that you're pregnant, she will discharge you from care. You'd be under our care then. Um, they, so we were like, okay, three for three. But this doctor that we saw, the high risk doctor, he was like, you know, just to be safe and sure, he said, I'm going to recommend, since you've already had two second trimester losses, I'm going to recommend that you take two doses of Lovenox daily and two baby aspirin daily. Because when you're pregnant, the Lovenox leaves your system a lot faster than it would if you were not pregnant. Um, so he's like, why not? It's not going to hurt you. <laughs> so we were like, okay, since we have the preeclampsia, so early, he was like, instead of taking one baby aspirin, let's have you take two. He said, it's not going to prevent anything, but it's sure as hell not going to hurt anything. Um, yeah. And we were like, holy crap, people are actually starting to listen to us. When we were at that appointment, that would have been the time where the baby would have, the babies, I should say, would have implanted in my uterus. <laughs> and um, the following week, we found out we were pregnant with twins. So now we are currently nine weeks pregnant with our rainbow twins. With twins. <laughs> with twins. Holy crap. I told the ultrasound tech to shut the F up when she told us that it was twins. Well, when you, you messaged me, you were like, holy fuck, it's twins. And I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> we both just like threw out F-bombs. <laughs> we went in there expecting there to just, like, of course, just expecting there to be one. And most people that had known that we were seeing a fertility specialist were like, she has to have been on fertility drugs. No, never took yeah. a fertility drug at all. Like this was a spontaneous twin pregnancy. Um, twins do not run on either side of our families. So we are calling this a true act of God and that our two girls had a hand in helping their mommy and daddy have their earthly babies. So, um, now, are they identical? Do you know that yet? They are die-die twins. So from what I've been reading, I think that there's still like a slim chance that they could be identical, but most likely they will be fraternal. Okay. Okay. So they each have their own placenta. So okay. I'm assuming that they will be fraternal. But we'll find out more once we get towards the end of our first trimester. What are you going to um, do if it's two girls? I will literally lose my mind. Like how crazy would that be? Yeah. So I have been researching and going through and, and like looking up to see like if I can do the um, early blood test. <laughs> yeah. Like the yeah. sex of the baby early. But then I'm like, how does it know? With I know <laughs> what's what. Yeah, for sure. Like, is it just going to recognize one? Like, so I, my next appointment, I'm going to ask our doctor that we go in on Tuesday. Um, so just a few more days from now. And I'm like, if I can find out early, I will find out early. Like, I will pay whatever to find out yeah, early. Yeah, for sure. I would, too. Um, right now, um, I'm actually doing recording with you in our um, what will be our nursery. Um, we already decided that once we find out the sex of the babies, that we are going to town Gonna on our start. nursery. We are starting the process of decorating and buying things um, because we just feel like if you don't start I'm not going to start, you know, like it's, it's going to be the same pattern of events that happened with the first two. And we're just so excited that we're like, let's get this ball rolling. Like I am ready um, to be even more positive than I was with our first and second pregnancies. So um, we are ready to, you know, barring that all of these medication choices will work now. Um, I feel like uh, one of those like needle like the needle holders, like the, the soap, like a seamstress would use. My yeah. stomach is all completely like bruised and swollen. It's 
gross. Um, but I will, I will literally do anything to um, have these two babies. So yeah, it'll be a long journey for us. But we also That's know so you know, exciting that that good things are to come. So barring everything works, we're we're super stinking excited. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. Now you you're like the most positive person I've probably ever talked to when it comes to like still being excited and allowing yourself to feel that excitement with each pregnancy, even through losses. Do you have any tips <laughs> for other people who are out there dealing with losses of their own and then their next pregnancy and like not being able to tap into that. I think just knowing what your end goal is, is the most important thing through all of this. Our end goal is to have our own biological children that I have carried. So knowing that each pregnancy, I took different steps um, to get to this point. And so far, what we're doing is working. So yeah. Should it continue to work? Like if we decided, if, if we have these babies and we will, um, and we decide to get pregnant again, um, we would go through the same path in a heartbeat. Um, just finding what works for you. Um, I know a lot of people will take, you know, a thousand pregnancy tests. I, um, I took, I think four pregnancy tests. Um, and that was it. I like gave myself a limit because the previous month to us finding out that we were pregnant with the twins, I spent like $200 on pregnancy um, Yeah, I'm like, one of those people that takes a lot of pregnancy <laughs> tests. I was like, this is the month, this is the month, this is the month. And my husband would find like pregnancy tests in the garbage can and yes, be like, like hiding them too. Totally. Stopping. Like I would, they'd be in different drawers and like in different mm-hmm. garbage and like hidden everywhere. So the month that we actually found out that the pregnancy test came up positive, I only took about four, um, I have them with all of my medication, um, my pharmacy, and um, I look at them daily, you know, and I think that's just the biggest piece of advice I guess I could give is just knowing what you want your end goal to be. And if your end mm-hmm. goal is I want to birth my own live child, then do whatever the hell you can. Be your own advocate. And if the doctors don't listen, find somebody new. Yeah. Um, we've also kind of removed ourselves from like everybody in the world. <laughs> like we see our parents and that's like it. Um, because I think that a lot of the outside influences, um, in person really affected us. Um, some of the things that people were saying really kind of affected us. So we were like, okay, well, if we can remove ourselves from some of the people that maybe are saying some of these things that are a little bit more on the negative side that they don't even realize that they're negative, that maybe that will help us to be a little bit more positive. And I think that that has, um, and just yeah. because I'm an oversharer. So oversharing everything, um, with everybody and as many people as I can has really helped me to be, um, a little bit more on the positive side. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you do openly share, like you just said. So if there is anybody out there that wants to get in touch with you or follow your story, where could they do that? You can find me on Instagram. I am at Kristen Kowalsik. So that's at K-R-I-S-T-E-N-K-O-W-A-L-S-I-C-K. And I also have a YouTube channel at the same handle. So you could, my YouTube channel is actually linked onto my Instagram. I post a little bit more on Instagram than I do on YouTube. So. Awesome. And I'll link that. I'll link both your YouTube and your Instagram in the description of the podcast so that it's easy for people to reach out to you and maybe, you know, I, I know, I know there's people who are going to be able to relate to this story and are probably going to want to just say like, Hey, any advice or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for being on the show today and congratulations. Thank you. Thank like, you. I'm so excited <laughs> we're very, to we're see excited. your twins. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're Yes, all the the feelings. We're trying to do is be positive. Yeah, and you're doing a good job at it. (laughs) We try. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest, so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 